You're listening to Oxfam India's Responsible Biz, where the conversation is about business, human rights, and the people at the center of it all. My name is Tri Radhakrishnan, and welcome to a new episode of Responsible Biz. Since the nationwide total lockdown was imposed on 25th March 2020, the question of migrant workers has been front and center of the lockdown narrative. Without work or wages or shelter, and trapped in cities without any means of getting back to the relative safety of their villages, it was more likely that hunger would claim more migrant worker lives than the coronavirus. Indeed, what began as a public health emergency soon became an all-out humanitarian crisis. Since then, although the lockdown has been eased and businesses are reopening, the underlying roots of issues that precipitated the crisis remain unresolved. To better understand the crisis facing migrant workers, I spoke to Divya Verma of Ajivika Bureau, an NGO based in Ahmedabad, Gujarat, that works to ensure secure and dignified lives of communities dependent on migration and labor. Divya is a program manager within the Center for Migration and Labor Solutions team and leads the bureau's policy and partnerships work. A Fulbright scholar, she holds a degree in public administration from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. and a postgraduate diploma from the Institute of Rural Management Anand thank you divya for taking the time to be on the show i realize this is an especially difficult time for you and your colleagues at ajivika bureau as the migrant worker crisis unfolds and assumes unprecedented proportions thank you for the opportunity i'm really glad that uh, um, oxfam is also um, kind of curating the show at this particular time um, which has been kind of unprecedented for all the communities that we work with um, so yeah thank you also for the opportunity since the lockdown came into effect we've seen heart wrenching photographs on front pages of newspapers and heard testimonies of workers walking hundreds of kilometers back to their villages until now the question of migrant workers has rarely been addressed in the public discourse could you tell us a little bit more about the specific category of india's labor force as you rightly said this is a community that has um, just very very recently gained prominence in the public mind space because of the devastation that was um, inflicted on them uh, due to the lockdown um so when we talk about migrant labor or migrant workers i think uh, the word migrant definitely denotes um uh, people who move from rural areas to urban areas um uh, on a seasonal basis uh, mostly uh, to seek livelihoods um, um in the cities um they come from um uh, villages and rural um areas in the country uh, that are uh, going through a lot of distress um our rural economies in shambles agriculture hasn't seen a lot of investment um uh, in the past uh, several decades um so agriculture is no longer a viable livelihood strategy for millions of rural poor uh, in the country today so what most people do is while they while they still maintain their homes uh, their family homes in the villages they migrate um, either the men migrate themselves or they migrate along with their families with their with their wives and their children um they all migrate together to uh, the big urban uh, centers um in india in order to find jobs in various sectors um uh, for example if we were to uh, think about the sectors uh, construction is the largest employer of migrant workers um in the country uh, today uh, again followed by um, manufacturing textiles um for the hospitality industry uh mining and quarrying um, even agriculture is a major observer of 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 migrant workers so the important thing that we need to remember is that uh they lead their lives in 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 two different places which is at the villages uh, where their homes are they never really let go of their homes uh, but they they constantly 
move back and forth between the villages and the cities. And this they do for maybe 20 years of their lives. Um, so it's not that they are a very temporary presence in these cities, um, but they are a mobile community. They are always in a state of drift. Their lives are very transient in nature. Their relationship with the city is very economic in nature, which means that uh, they don't have a lot of social networks or a lot of social capital uh, in the urban centers that they migrate to. Um, of course, uh, political patronage um, is also not there because they don't have any voting rights in the cities where they migrate. That's about the migrant uh, mobile uh, uh, nature of their lives. Um, but if one were to uh, look at uh, migrant workers in the whole context of informality, because there is also labor in the word migrant labor. Um, so by so it's not similar to one of us getting a job in, in, in say, Bangalore or Bombay and, and just moving homes um, uh, to one of these cities. It is not at all uh, comparable to that because a lot of them work in the informal sector, in the informal economy. And by informal economy, what we mean is um, a sector, an economy where um, work arrangements are, are, are not at all uh, on written contracts. Um, they are mostly... Uh, 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 agreed upon by way of um, um, oral kind of agreements and um, so the terms of, so the important thing implication is that the terms of work cannot be um, cannot be imposed or cannot be um, um, kind of enforced uh, in the way that written contracts are uh, are, are enforced uh, so most uh, informal workers who are also migrant in nature they work in these really uh, low value bottom end uh, risky hazardous precarious kind of occupations for example in the construction sector, they would be the one climbing on top of the huge uh, uh, kind of multi-storied buildings. They would be the one mixing the uh, cement and carrying big, big sands of cement on their backs. Um, um, if it's the hotel industry, they would be the one cutting vegetables inside the deep inside the kitchen, or they would be the ones washing the dishes. Um, in, in factory floor, uh, uh, they they would be the one actually handling the most dangerous machines uh, because a lot of local population have already vacated uh, these uh, hazardous sectors. So it is the migrant population who works for much lower wages, um, who, who occupy these sectors, um, these very uh, uh, kind of bottom end kind of jobs uh, in these sectors. Um, so the result is that uh, uh, they face um, um, a significant amount of wage thefts. Um, because again, because the con there are no written contracts, so it's, so it's impossible to hold the contractor or the employer accountable um, uh, to what is due uh, to the workers. Uh, uh, so they face a lot of uh, wage thefts, a lot of pending payments. There are no social security benefits like bonus or ESI or PF um, that they are eligible for. Um, insurance uh, in, uh, enrollments, um, uh, financial inclusion um, is, is very limited. Um, if they meet with an accident, uh, the employer is not really legally um, liable to pay them a compensation um, uh, in the sense that it, it's very difficult to enforce that. They are legally liable uh, through the Workmen's Compensation Act, but it's difficult to enforce uh, this agreement just because it is very difficult to establish the relationship between the employer and the employee in this context. So if they meet with an accident, the, the, the employer just pays the family a few thousands of rupees and tries to hush up the case. Um, in case of disability or death, so the family has to really just bear the human costs of all this. Um, so if one were to look at the broader kind of political economic context in which all this is happening, it's basically that the cities are built on the extraction 
of um, uh, the, the the labor of migrant workers so um, so a lot of our uh, rural development policies have failed in such a big way that rural immigration has intensified rural poverty has intensified which has really driven a lot of people to the cities which are now the engines of growth um, in this whole neoliberal uh, kind of growth paradigm uh, it is the urban uh, spaces in our country that are experiencing that are receiving a lot of foreign investments um and the kind of infrastructure development that we see in terms of smart cities in terms of uh building flyovers and mega million kind of infrastructure projects all of these require very cheap labor which are which is very pliable and which uh which has no bargaining power um uh, who just uh, work in these sites um uh, who are available to work 24/7 because they don't have homes to go to they live on the work sites uh they live in open spaces um in very uh, open say spaces or settlements in the periphery of the city um they are totally cut off from urban public services and uh, uh sometimes they work they they live within the work sites that is within the precarious uh confines of their work environments within the factories within the hotels within the construction sites so they are completely invisible and disempowered um and because they don't have voting rights they are uh, completely disenfranchised uh in terms of even um conducting any political negotiations to make the situation better you mentioned the vulnerabilities of migrant workers and as i understand these issues have been around for decades and heightened with neoliberal policies and hypercapitalism since the 90s and early 2000s but the category of migrant workers isn't a homogeneous category just like labor isn't a homogeneous category amongst migrant workers who are the more or most vulnerable and what is the basis for their vulnerability so definitely i think a vast majority of the vulnerable uh, kind of migrant workforce who are uh, engaged in distress migration uh, they come from um, the historically marginalized communities like the scheduled caste scheduled tribes um, who are uh, uh, landless uh, um, in 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 these uh, rural areas so for example uh, in the geography that we work in which is western india lot of people migrate from southern rajasthan to uh, districts of um, gujarat that is ahmedabad surat uh, baroda rajkot all of these are growing urban centers um so if you look at the at the demographic uh, kind of profile of the people who migrate who are engaged in distress migration um they are basically the tribal uh, uh, tribal uh, people of um, um udaipur dungarpur baswada uh, which is which which are very predominantly tribal geographies um in these um in these areas so if you look at the characteristic of this region this was a very rich um for uh, this was a region with very rich forest cover earlier uh, which is the aravalli mountain ranges but but with um, his decades of kind of deforestation and economic activity kind of destroyed this forest cover so the lot of the tribal population who was dependent on the forest for their for their food and nutrition and for their livelihoods they suddenly had nothing really to 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 uh, depend upon so that is again one of the triggers for migration uh, from these uh, regions um, but if you look at other geographies for example uh, migration from chatisgarh to delhi uh, of adolescent girls um, for domestic work is a very prominent uh, migration stream um, and 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 people also talk about uh, a, a lot of this migration being actually trafficking where the women are just taken to the cities without really their consent or without them really having the full information of who they are going to work for or what what kind of jobs they are going to be put into so again adolescent girls and women uh, are also very vulnerable uh, another example for a very vulnerable category of migrants is the brick in sector brick ins that supply to the construction industry they are set up in the periphery of the 
cities and it's a lot of family migration that happens uh, to the brickins so it's women and children uh, migrating um, to these brickins and they live on the in the periphery of the city near to their work areas so again uh, children of course form a very very vulnerable kind of category there are children who migrate along with their families uh, who are of course their education uh, suffers uh, very much as a result some uh, education and nutrition and other health outcomes but there are also a lot of children who are uh, trafficked into child labor sort of working in hotels and restaurants or into working in small dhabas or into working in homes um so there are these uh, children also who form a very vulnerable category of migrants um i want to make the distinction between distress migration and migration for aspirational reasons because migration for aspirational reasons also uh, we can, we can see that also in rural areas but they are most uh, commonly found among people who are from the more upper castes who have slightly more educational attainments uh, than uh, this category of historically vulnerable communities that i'm talking about the people who migrate for aspirational reasons they of course um, uh, are more educated and they find uh, they have the kind of social capital and social networks in the city for them to be able to find slightly better jobs slightly up the value chain for example they might become um, the rajputs who migrate from rajasthan to the hotel industry in gujarat actually become um, captains or or chefs in the restaurants in um, in, in in gujarat in ahmedabad uh, but for example if a tribal person migrates he will never be made even a waiter he will always be relegated to the kitchen to be cutting vegetables or washing dishes so there is a whole kind of caste angle to this uh, the whole because the social hierarchy of the villages in many cases gets faithfully kind of replicated in the cities as well as you're saying the deep seated social inequalities in the villages and rural india are transplanted into the cities and urban centers as part of the movement of migrant workers it also dispels the misconception that caste hierarchies exist in rural settings and not in cities where class is the predominant marker again while these social realities have existed for decades if not centuries how and what has caused the existing vulnerabilities to be heightened during the current covid crisis yeah that's a that's a really good question because this is the argument that we've been trying to make to a lot of uh, media uh, a lot of multilateral agencies and uh, policy uh, kind of audience that have reached out to us um so i i think the main point that we need to remember is that all of these vulnerabilities that we're seeing today um uh, the kind of anguish that we're seeing in this population these are not new these are long standing historic existing uh, pre existing kind of um, uh, vulnerabilities that just got compounded just got precipitated um in this current lockdown crisis uh, so for example uh, if you take about uh, if you think about the uh, the ration card and and the and the rights of migrant workers to access um subsidized food and fuel from the public distribution system a huge uh, kind of um, um issue that they face is that their ration card are not mobile um, like them so for example they are only entitled to uh, uh, the pda system at, in their villages in their rural areas where their homes are if they migrate to ahmedabad or surat uh, or bombay or delhi uh, their ration cards are not valid uh, in any of these cities um while the relief packages announced by the finance minister um uh, uh, for uh, the benefit of uh, uh, poor communities mostly talked about intensifying the relief measures through existing channels uh, but what we need to remember is that migrant workers are currently outside the existing channels uh, so if you, if 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 um 5 kg of extra rice 
uh, is announced for ration card holders, migrant workers will not be able to access it anyway because they did not have ration cards that were uh, that were uh, valid in the cities. So this kind of bias against mobile populations, bias towards sedentary populations, which we call the sedentary bias in our policies. Um, this has uh, been a very big problem because there is no facility through which or any of these entitlements are portable. Um, so, for example, migrant workers are not able to uh, access subsidized healthcare from tertiary kind of government uh, hospitals in, 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 in big cities. Like I said earlier, they don't have voting rights uh, in the cities, even the right to vote is not portable. That is an issue that existed uh, from before, which just the implication of which just got heavily kind of um, accentuated uh, during the lockdown because uh, that led to a lot of food deprivation and insecurity, food insecurity in many migrant families who were stranded in the cities. Second example is, uh, of course, the lack of adequate and dignified shelter uh, in the cities for migrant people. Um, like I said, migrant workers either live um, in um, open settlements uh, in the periphery of the city, or they live in very congested rental rooms in, in urban slums that are most often not notified or not part of the regular, uh, within quotes, regular kind of uh, settlements that the municipal corporation has recognized, or they live inside their work sites. For example, we work in Surat with a lot of power loom workers who are migrants from Ganjam district in Odisha. Uh, so when you, um, uh, you know, share a room with 50 other people, when you have to share a toilet with 100 other people, um, uh, but you you have nowhere to go or you cannot step out. If you step out for some fresh air, the police will beat you up because uh, uh, because you are you are thought of as a as a risk to public health um, um, in terms of uh, uh, the contagion effects of the coronavirus itself. So um, so in that situation it, uh, where people don't have dignified shelter, people don't have access to uh, kind of um, just basic food and nutrition that a lot of them just decided to walk back to their villages because our cities are so inhospitable, our cities are so alienating that it has always been a site of extraction. And that is one of the major reasons why migrant workers were forced to kind of, you know, walk back thousands of kilometers to the relative uh, safety of their villages. You spoke about how migrant workers are largely on the peripheries of the legal and policy frameworks of the state. In fact, we don't even quite know their numbers. Some estimate it around 390 million, while others peg it at almost 200 million less, which further adds to the opacity and invisibleness of this demographic group. What are then the blind spots in terms of laws and policies that are oblivious to the needs of migrant workers? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that is one of the major uh, kind of uh, dialogues that we've been trying to have with the governments at various levels in the past many years. So if one were to look at the blindness uh, and the blind spots of policy, uh, one of the major issues is that uh, there is no enumeration of migrant populations at any level. Uh, so, for example, the biggest data collection exercises in the country, which is the census and the national sample survey, both of them uh, do not have mechanisms to capture uh, the large magnitude of people who move from uh, one place to another, either within state boundaries or they cross state boundaries and they, they undertake interstate migration to go to big cities uh, in a neighboring state or, or or they cross many many states in between and go to um, you know cities like Delhi. Um, so th there is no mechanism basically at any level of administration, be it the center, the state, or uh, at a city level um, uh, to enumerate or 
um to count um, uh, you know how many number of people are migrating and into what sectors are they migrating where are they coming from where are they going so this kind of migration flow uh, has not been captured at all in our policies in in our kind of enumeration exercises as we all understand and appreciate numbers establishing numbers is very important in terms of um, you know coming up with a significant policies so the 390 million uh, is also not an established figure there are many many different figures floating around for example the economic survey of 2019 said that there are um, 139 million migrants in the country so the range of estimates also vary so much uh that is very difficult to pinpoint um, um a, a particular number uh to this category so that's a, a very important reason for their exclusion uh, so not just at the central level uh but even at the state uh, level there are no interstate mechanisms to capture uh, though we know anecdotally that for example um orissa to gujarat parlooms is a very important migration corridor um uh, for example from uh, bangal and us to work in um, industries like plywood is a very very prominent migration corridor which sees huge migration flows from up and bihar to mumbai to work as uh, taxi drivers and auto drivers that's again a big migration flow um, that has seen historical uh, uh, kind of migrations uh, but all of these things are uh, something we know anecdotally there are no mechanisms to capture them the city officials do not um, uh, when they do the city kind of enumeration migrants are not counted as part of the local population they they stay in the periphery of the cities or in the work sites uh, which means that most of their settlements are not recognized are not officially recognized uh, by the uh, city authorities uh, so for example um, if we talk about this uh, policy amrut which is the atal mission for rejuvenation and urban transformation Uh, which is uh, one of the most prominent urban infrastructure policies in the country today um, uh, where the core thrust area is uh, uh, the provision of water and sewerage infrastructure um, for the city so that if one were to look at that policy as an example they draw their eligibility lists from um, settlements that have been notified and enumerated as part of the census uh, so you can imagine migrant workers and their settlements are not included in any of these uh, local kind of enumeration exercises immediately get excluded from the ambit of such basic kind of facilities their settlements are unserved by urban public services urban infrastructure that the municipal corporation sets up for other uh, local citizens of the city um, so any lack of enumeration is a big issue then the second issue uh, is as i talked about sedentary bias the lack of portability of entitlements uh, where if a person moves from one place to another then the public then the public entitlements are no longer valid in the second place that is the second destination that you are in it doesn't matter it does not have a huge implication on people like us because we are always able to uh, get services from the market we are able to buy services from the market we are not dependent upon government services poor populations very vulnerable categories totally dependent on state services who are dependent on um, kind of state sponsored uh, health facilities subsidized food you know education for their children in government schools um, immunization uh, by asha workers um you know early child care through anganwadis um so a lot of this population gets uh, when they migrate when they move from their original village they don't have uh, documents in the city to prove their domicile to prove their residency or to prove their identity a lot of uh, them get excluded from uh, the scope of such provisions in cities um uh, the penetration of aadhar has been quite good in these communities but unfortunately even if you have an aadhar card it does not ensure uh, that your entitlements are valid or portable 
to a new city that you're migrating. If we look at legal um, kind of architecture, there's only, uh, th though the labor law uh, provisions are very strong in our country, there's only one act of 1979 uh, that actually uh, kind of caters to uh, migrant population. This is the Interstate Migrant Workmen Act of 1979 or ISMA. But again, this act has not really been implemented at all on the ground. The kind of, uh, because Labor Department in our country is so disempowered today, they do not have any architecture that has been able to successfully implement the provisions. Uh, so I would say that this is a really good opportunity for, um, there is so much public and policy attention now on this issue. And this is a good opportunity for how some of the policies should be made more flexible, more migrant inclusive. The policies should look, should be more forward looking to, to actually cater to the mobile populations in the country. In fact, that was going to be my next question to sum up the discussion. The COVID pandemic has revealed deep structural fault lines and inequalities that have long existed but conveniently neglected and brushed under the carpet. Moving forward, especially in light of the growing emphasis on building back better that is being talked about by the UN as well as in the policy circles in India, what could be those decisive measures that need to be introduced and implemented at this critical juncture in order to mitigate this crisis and address the vulnerabilities of this vast population of migrant workers in India? As I said, uh, I think this is a great opportunity um, for us to really take stock of um, uh, all the flaws, all the structural failures of our um, um, labor and our urban policies and, and, and really see how we can um, you know, design policies that are more inclusive of, of, of this migrant workforce, um, which as we know now is really, really huge in number as well. Um, so I think the first kind of recommendation um, is to make our cities more inclusive, um, make our urban design, urban planning process uh, more friendly to mobile populations. So start with um, recognizing them as a legitimate constituency in our urban areas who help build our cities, who help people like us uh, make our livelihoods possible. I recognize uh, migrant workers as um, an authorized, a legitimate presence in the cities that is in need of um, uh, these services. Then that will be the first step, first kind of philosophical, kind of moral uh, imperative that would be uh, 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 necessary in order for us to build um, urban policies uh, that are more inclusive. Uh, so, for example, start with um, enumeration of uh, migrant settlements, um, enumeration of people, who migrant uh, workers who live uh, in their work sites, uh, recognize the kind of special vulnerabilities that migrant women go through uh, in these cities, and uh, then make sure that all these uh, people who are mobile um, from one place to another, uh, their access to public public services is not compromised. So, for example, remove all kinds of eligibility barriers um, uh, in accessing PDS uh, from the cities. Um, uh, so, make uh, supply of rations universal um, for a, for a certain category of uh, population, so that uh, so that in times like these, uh, they have something to hold on to in these cities. Set up worker hostels or uh, strengthen the whole um, shelter architecture for homeless populations, and 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 make sure there are transitory kind of you know shelter arrangement for workers in cities. And make sure that there is a basic standard that's followed um, uh, even in the uh, in the slum area so that migrant workers don't have to. Migrant workers and a large category of urban poor also face a lot of these vulnerabilities that I'm talking about. So make sure that they are able to access adequate and dignified shelters in cities. In terms of the legal uh, kind of architecture, I think this is a really good time 
to think about formalizing work arrangements uh, because a lot of uh, the the population is um, informally employed and that is one of the major reasons why they are not able to bargain for their rights they are not able to um, negotiate for any public entitlements once the uh, work arrangements are more formal they become more formalized there is uh, a trail there is an evidence for the employment relationship between the the, the worker and the principal employer that will make it much more easier for workers to claim their entitlements so i think this is a time for all of us both the public as well as the policy makers to take stock um, to make design interventions that are more humane more empathetic uh, more dignified um, so that we can give some more hope to uh, the, the migrant workers of our country thank you divya for drawing out a really comprehensive picture of migrant workers in india their long standing vulnerabilities and how and why the covid pandemic has been especially severe on this particular group while these issues have existed for decades but largely ignored it is very unfortunate that a crisis of this magnitude has finally brought it to the forefront of public discourse and consciousness thanks again for taking the time to be on the show thank you tree thank you and thanks for the opportunity um, it was a pleasure speaking to you that was divya verma from ajivika bureau please visit their website for more information and resources on migrant labor including their recent report unlocking the urban reimagining migrant lives in cities post covid-19 if you enjoyed listening to our show then please like it subscribe to it and share it a five star review also helps thank you once again this is your host tri radhakrishnan signing off until next time This podcast was produced with the financial support of the European Union. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Oxfam India and do not necessarily reflect the views of the European Union. To know more about responsible business conduct, visit www.responsiblebiz.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at @bizresponsible.